Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. I'm Mark Dolan and this is Headliners, your first look at tomorrow's newspapers. Always in the company of two top comedians this evening, the brilliant Diane Spencer, fresh from the Edinburgh Fringe, and Nick Dixon, fresh from a Sainsbury's local about a quarter of a mile from here, (laughs) where he bought Diet Coke as usual. Let's take a look at tomorrow's front pages and we'll start with the Daily Mail. And Saturday's Mail are launching uh, on the issue of Partygate. My God, are they still talking about that? Well, the Mail say they shouldn't. Now end the party probe witch hunt. MPs faced mounting pressure last night to halt the Partygate probe into Boris Johnson after a top QC called the whole process unfair and fundamentally flawed. Okay, next up, we have the Telegraph. Energy plan on day one for trust. Tory leadership favourite aims to prioritise tackling the cost of living crisis in her first cabinet, which is expected to happen on Wednesday morning. Council to offer four-day week for same pay and Labour to ditch GP pension cap. Uh, The FT next, trust plans risk 60 billion pound budget hole. That's right. Liz Truss's economic plans risk a budget black hole of 60 billion. Inflation erodes the headroom. Welfare and debt costs to surge. Tax cut bill to add pain. There you go. That's the FT weekend who are not backing Liz Truss's economic policies. The Daily Mirror next. Queen's new health blow. Mobility problems force Her Majesty to miss her favourite Highland Games. The Times next, Putin hits West with fresh gas shutdown. Indefinite closure of Nord Stream 1 threatens to push up prices. Daily Express next, Tories put on war footing for snap election. Britain's next prime minister is expected to demand the Tory party is put on an election footing from day one, with strategists tipping October the 5th of next year as a possible polling day. And last but not least, the Daily Star. Energy crisis to ruin Christmas. This year, says the little girl on the front page of the Daily Star, I want a pony and 50 kilowatts per hour of off-peak lecky, please, Santa. Well, I'm sure she'll get at least one of those two things. And those are your front pages. Let's start with tomorrow's Mirror and Extinction Rebellion find themselves in a sticky situation, Nick. They do once again, yes. Extinction Rebellion protesters superglued themselves inside House of Commons and a photo which you'll have seen, I'm sure, on Twitter appears to show three members of the controversial group standing next to the Speaker's chair inside the House of Commons chamber. Some questions as to how they got there. There's going to be a security probe. I've been to the House of Lords. You go through a scanner 
you know, like at the airport, but presumably they don't, presumably the commons is similar, but obviously they don't scan for glue because they've got in there with a load of glue, glued themselves to stuff. And, you know, Mark, don't you feel that the establishment is a little soft on Extinction Rebellion? And I would suggest it's because they're essentially posh idiots who think the world's going to end due to climate change any minute. And that also describes most politicians. Well, yes, I, I have to say I can't disagree with that. Diane Spencer, I'm worried about the optics of the House of Commons chamber being attacked by non-elected protesters. You know, yeah. I, ju I just think it's, you know, it's not quite the Capitol Hill on January the 6th. <laughs> but these people have broken into the home of democracy in this country and glued mm. themselves to this iconic chamber. Well, I believe that they uh, tried to pass as part of a tour, which is the way they got in. And mm. it made me think, well, great, now you've stuffed it for the rest of us. Yeah, if totally. we wanted to go for a tour, we're going to have to hand in sort of our CV. They're going to do background checks now. I mean, it's bad enough when somebody rifles through your handbag. But, yes, um, yeah, the optics don't look great. But on one hand, I do think to myself, well, at least they are now causing disruption for the people that actually can... The, the people that they want to make the changes. Mm. Um, whereas usually they glue themselves and cause disruption for everybody else, yeah. and we can't make any people changes. People trying to get to work, people trying to get yeah. their kids to school, uh, an ambulance trying to take someone that's having a stroke to hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. actually really important things. But and I totally agree with you, but just, don't you think that, just in terms of how this looks, it's, it's a virtual and literal attack on democracy? It is a virtual and literal attack on democracy. And what's interesting is that they, it's part of their five-stage plan, which is outlined in this article, if anybody's interested. Extinction Rebellion clearly want to replace the democracy we have with a brand new democracy, um, the People's Alliance and the People's Committee. And they're going to make this five-stage plan where they're hoping to recruit 100,000 people by spring 2023. They've got their targets. Uh, and in between then, they're going to absolutely disrupt things for the rest of us in Marble Arch and the my, rest of it. Yeah, well, my concern, Nick, is, is just about the fact that if we yield to these thugs, uh, then you set the precedent that another cause will come along. I mean, for example, should people glue themselves to the House of Commons chamber to tackle child poverty? Maybe that's a good idea. Or food banks or the cost of living crisis. I mean, there's no cause that's not worthy of protest. And not worthy of glue. Yeah, there are so many. You're right. I like Dan's idea that they're at least they're gluing themselves to the right targets this time. But yeah, you're right. It is a security issue. There's a precedent. And you notice the treatment was much tougher of lockdown sceptics when they went on protest. So there does seem to be a bit of a two-tiered approach, don't you think? Yeah. We, 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 we don't know what's going to happen to these people yet, but it seems to me they're a bit tougher on protests they don't like. Uh, briefly, Nick Dixon. Hello. Uh, your favourite glue, uh, Yoo-Hoo. Um, mm -hmm. Do you go for Pritt Stick? I have to go with Pritt Stick for the nostalgia quality. What? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it depends it, what we're doing with the glue. We're not for gluing myself to the House what of about, Commons. What about your classic Bostick <laughs> superglue? Yeah, look, I like Pritstick because it's what I grew up with, but I wouldn't, when, if gluing myself to part of the House of Commons, I wouldn't trust it. It's not that sticky, is Isn't it? Isn't it glue really bad for the environment? I mean, don't point. you have to use a solvent to get rid of the... Isn't, isn't this all toxic chemicals that they're using? I mean, couldn't they use, like, handcuffs made from sustainable bamboo? Maybe we leave these characters glued to the House of Commons, let them run the country for a couple of years and see what happens. <laughs> it couldn't be, couldn't it be much be worse. But. <laughs> it would not age well. Next up, tomorrow's Telegraph, and it looks like Johnson's got some legal advice a little bit too late. Diane, tell us more. Well, this is all to do with the watering down of the potential inquiry. So the Telegraph have got this article, uh, Boris Johnson, Partygate Inquiry, faces being watered down. 
In early days of Liz Truss government. Ah! So everybody uh, is assuming that Liz Truss is going to get in, uh, which is interesting, I suppose. Um, I even heard you on your programme say, spoiler alert! <laughs> That's what it is. I think so. I think she's she's on the IKEA website now, ordering home furnishing. <laughs> she's there. She's got the wallpaper stripper. She goes, I can't. I'm not going to live with that stuff. Larry the cat's going. You're not going to live with me, love. Maybe, um, maybe she could get Extinction Rebellion to do the wallpaper because they are very good with adhesives, aren't they? <laughs> wallpaper is tricky. Wallpaper glue. That would be fun if they wallpapered themselves to something. And leave hey, them there. ideas, guys. <laughs> so um, a hundred. Uh, £130,000 of taxpayers' money went to somebody called Lord Panic, <laughs> which is wondrous. We have, like, Lord Trust, Lord Justice, Lord Swift, Lord Panic. Are they the Avengers? It just sounds like it, it doesn't does it? It does sound like they're all just sat around this circular table plotting things. And essentially, they've taken this inquiry and they've turned it into, what can I say, a homeopathic inquiry. Mm. They're sort of watering it down until it's just got the essence of an inquiry once upon a time. And they're sort of changing uh, the, the questions and the motions um, so that Boris doesn't have to actually face the question of did you purposefully mislead Parliament, which is something that's very important. He's leaving office. He's paid the ultimate price. Do we need this nonsense? It's important because he does need to be held to account. Do you not think he should be held to account even though he's leaving? Do you think that, you know, just because uh, somebody leaves a job, should they not, but they stole a load of, like, stationery, should they not well, be held to account? Well, yeah, perhaps a bigger headache for some, perhaps in, in the Tory party, Nick Dixon, is if he's exonerated from this inquiry, then they'll be thinking, well, why did he go in the first place? Yes, well, it appears to be the goal that he's thinking about coming back and it's all part of it. And I, it is amusing that he's called Lord Panic. We also had Chris Pincher. In future, all politicians and figures like this will be named after their essential qualities. But, and yeah. they must wear capes. Yeah, correct. Um, and and they um, need a, man, a manservant, don't they, with, with whom they have an ambiguous relationship. <laughs> and a poll that they slide down when they must attend. We must vote! <laughs> <laughs> the, the poll's a deal-breaker for me. Shall I give you the actual boring... Parts of the story. He's making a legal case for Boris that there might be a chilling effect in future. If you're not allowed to just say something that's a mistake in Parliament and that's, that's thought of as contempt of Parliament, he's saying that's unfair. He says there should be a higher standard of proof than balance of probability. You shouldn't be able to use anonymous witnesses against Boris in case they hold a grudge secretly. And Boris should know the full case against him in advance and he should be allowed to have a lawyer and cross-examine the opposition. Those are some of the things he's saying. But the whole thing seems to be about Boris has hinted he wants to come back and... You know, this is all about allowing that chance for Boris. I wonder, because people are... Does anyone care about Partygate anymore? As you suggested, probably not. They do care about the way Boris was ousted. Lots of people care about the way he was stabbed in the back. But this, this idea of Boris coming back, I mean, I'm, I'm, do you actually want that? I mean, does he deserve to come back? Would he do anything different? It would have to be, you know, dark Brandon, the Joe Biden meme, it would have to be dark Boris, wouldn't it? He'd well, have to come back and really get stuff done. Yeah, that's right. The Spectator were writing this week that, 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 that he may do a Berlusconi and make a glorious return in a couple of years' time. The bottom line is that if Liz Truss does not perform well as Prime Minister and loses the next election, she will go and there will be another leadership election. If Boris Johnson stays in the Commons, he may throw his hat in the ring. Yeah, well, that's what he's hinting at, isn't he, this mm. week? Can he make the souffle rise twice? Not sure he rose <laughs> the first one. Um, tomorrow's Sun Now and Sadiq Khan got uh, dick out. That's quite a headline. Nick, tell me more.
Yes, I mean, that's not the headline, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Cressida Dick felt intimidated into stepping down as Met Commissioner after Sadiq Khan's ultimatum report finds. This is a report from Sir Thomas Windsor, former Chief Inspector of the Constabulary, and he says due process was not followed, whereas, of course, Khan is saying it's a biased report. Now, Khan alleged... This, so there was a series of scandals, of course, when Cressida Dick was in the Sarah Everard case and other things, and, and basically Khan was said to have given her an ultimatum. He even said it's the last chance saloon, allegedly. And uh, she objected to the way he handled this, saying that she felt intimidated, sort of pushed out. And so th that's the debate, basically, between those two. Now, obviously, the police are awful, but Sadiq Khan's even more awful. So I would say get rid of Khan and totally reform the police. That would be my take on it. Uh, well, let's talk about uh, another aspect of this story in tomorrow's Mail. And uh, this is... Uh... Well, this is a drug-related story, so uh, what, what do we know? Oh, OK, so the Met anti-drugs boss has been accused of smoking cannabis every day, um, even while Dame Cressida Dick praised his performance. So uh, this is what has been... Um, the tribunal has been hearing this. So um, he drew up the uh, anti-drugs strategy, did you know? Uh, he had a lovely office covered in tie-dyed sarongs and lava lamps. That was one of the clues. Uh, but so he's Commander yeah. Julian Bennett. Now, I get the impression from reading about Commander Julian Bennett uh, mm. that he was quite stringent and quite strict. His nickname was The Sacker okay. because he was very strict on other police that were being sort of pulled aside for committing misdemeanors. And he was firing people if they... He even fired people who took drugs on the job. Mm. So I've got this kind of image that he's a bit of a Judge Dredd type. Yeah. But now this sort of person who lived with him is not a lodger, a nurse, has said, oh, no, he's been taking drugs the whole time. But he claims he's been taking, like, these very safe sort of uh, cannaboid things which you can buy legally over the counter, but they can show a false positive in a drugs test. Like CBD. Yeah, that's exactly what he's been taking. Which takes the marijuana without the kind of mind-altering qualities. Yes, so it takes out all the fun stuff, <laughs> but you get the stuff that kind of helps you sort of relax and helps you deal with certain issues. Mm. Um, so the question is, is this guy secretly been taking drugs the whole time? Or is he like Judge Dredd, who's now being sort of... Somebody's trying to bring him down from the inside because the witness never turned up to give the evidence either. No. So it's, it's quite an interesting tribunal that's kind of unfolding. Well, that's right. I mean, if these allegations are true, Nick, it raises the question about whether you can judge somebody uh, that takes drugs in relation to the quality of their work. Absolutely. I mean, we all suspected the police were high for a while now. And it makes sense that he took LSD because the police are so keen on bright rainbow colours these days, aren't they? <laughs> It's a bit of satire. So, um, yeah, and if he's, if he's on... I mean, if, if he's taking drugs, also, you're going to be less likely to enforce drug laws, which we already don't enforce properly. Well, I agree. I wonder whether, as you say, somebody was high that thought of those rainbow, rainbow police cars. That... Yeah, it explains the dancing, it explains the colours, it explains why, why the police aren't being police anymore. Who knew? OK, well, look, one more story before the break. And uh, it's about the economy and our currency, Nick. It's in the mail. Tell me. Yeah, that. my specialist subject. Is the pound heading for parity with the dollar? And basically, the pound has slipped to just $1.15. But, uh, it, so, that, so it's, it's it, yeah. So it, you might remember, Mark, in our lifetime, it was, remember when it was one pound to $2? Yep. Those halcyon days. 
But for some reason, people are losing confidence in the pound in our country. Could be because it's falling apart on every possible level. So um, Victoria Scholar of DIY Investing Platform, Interactive Investor, is saying the distant threat of parity starts to look increasingly like a real possibility. The pound's fallen 14.5% against the dollar since the start of the year. Yeah, I mean, a weak pound is quite good for exports, but it doesn't, doesn't sort of bode well for our wider economic outlook, Diane. No, not really. And it kind of puts an end to those days when you go on holiday and you go, oh, I'm going to take an empty suitcase because yeah. I'm going to buy loads of stuff when I'm there and I'm just going to fill up the new suitcase. Welcome back to Headliners. I'm Mark Dolan and with me looking at tomorrow's papers, the brilliant comedians Nick Dixon and Diane Spencer. Now let's get straight back into tomorrow's uh, headlines and let's look at The Guardian with some top secrets in empty folders, Diane. OK, I love this story. So uh, you know that um, they did a raid on Trump's Mar-a-Lago home and they pulled out all these classified folders, which he really shouldn't have had. What they have um, discovered, they've revealed the itinerary of what they've taken. 90 empty folders. So it's like, uh, sir, where are the documents that used to be in here? And because it's Trump, I feel like it could be anything. I feel like maybe he's made a fort out of them. Maybe he's got an origami book and he's kind of working his way through and he's like, look, I can now make a frog. Like... I don't know what he's doing with them, but it's a little worrying that they've all vanished. But what I like about this story in The Guardian is that it also details that he stole many... Sorry. He, he took many things and it suggested that he left the White House in a hurry because obviously he didn't want to leave because he said it had been stolen. And I sort of had this impression in my mind that he sort of got like a rucksack and just... You know when people run past a shelf just Absolutely. scooping stuff? Correct. I just feel like he just grabbed as much as he could. He's got like caps, mementos. It's, yeah, it's, it, he's ransacked kind of the White House and taken a load of stuff. Yeah, portrait of Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The rug from the <laughs> Oval Office. Put that on eBay. Busts, all sorts, you know. And obviously with the Capitol Hill rights, he's like, nobody's going to notice if I take some extra things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this story could go two ways, Nick, couldn't it? But it could be a scandal that these uh, folders are empty and that Trump has a case to answer. Or it could be that there's nothing to see here and that this raid was unfounded. Yes, it's definitely the latter. I mean, I hate to be the straight man again, Mark, but it, look, Trump... There's a, the, the argument is whether Trump can declassify documents himself or whether, whether he did declassify them in time and all this kind of thing. But you saw the absurd FBI stage photo the other day. That was the ridiculous true crime kind of photo of all the documents strewn over the floor and all the, all the lefties were going crazy about it. But my concern is the, the weaponization of the FBI. So we just saw Timothy Tibbalt just had, had to resign because he was involved in the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop. Yeah. And this is my concern about it. Even if Trump did do some minor, you know, got filing, some minor filing problem, that's all it seems to me. And Hillary did the same thing. She wasn't. She didn't even have the excuse of being president. You have a certain protection when you're president because you can declassify documents. Hillary just, just destroyed a, uh, her home server. She wasn't supposed to have. She wasn't even president at the time. You know, Bill Clinton had people like this guy Sandy Berger taking out documents in his pants. I've said on here before. Bill Clinton lost the nuclear codes for a few months. Did you know that? Mm. And he just kept. When people asked him about it, he just said, "Oh, look over there," and just sort of tried to it, it, like distract from it. That's my concern, is this weaponization of the FBI that we have. Yeah, it sets a worrying precedent, I have to say. 
Uh, let's now have a look at our next story. And it's tomorrow's Telegraph detailing Joe Biden's statement that Donald Trump is no longer top Trump. Nick, tell me more. Yeah, well, this was this mad speech from Biden. Telegraph's gone with Biden brands Trump and MAGA force as a threat to US democracy. This is going crazy on Twitter because it's Biden with this dark red and black background with several tiers and a couple of Marines in the background. And it just looks like a dystopian dictatorship. People are saying it's like V for Vendetta and things like that. People are saying it's dark Brandon which is a sort of meme about Biden. And it's just this incredibly dark setting. And then he chose to, he made this speech where he talked about unity hilariously. Then he talked about the MAGA Trump people and he said they embrace anger, they thrive on chaos, they live not in the light of truth, but in the shadow of lies. But together we can choose a different path. So he said, they, they do all that, 74 million people, they're totally evil, but together we can solve it, guys. So it's the illusion of, of that he's the non-divisive president, which, he, which is how he got it. He's like, I'm going to bring America back together. Actually, I'm going to stand in front of a sinister background calling half the country evil. And that's, that's, that's what he's done. And the funny thing about Trump is Trump had a radical manner of speaking. He was colloquial. He was funny. He was sort of aggressive. And that was new. But his policies were actually pretty normal. Whereas Biden got in on being the establishment, boring, normal candidate. Actually, turns out to be much more radical in what they're trying to do with America. Yeah, such as being very unnecessarily belligerent towards Russia by suggesting regime change in the Kremlin, which was then swiftly denied by the White House, which could have provoked World War III. And of course, that botched departure from Afghanistan and also big changes to America's illegal immigration policy and massive changes to the economy too, including unprecedented borrowing. Yeah, can I just add one thing? He, he, the other day, he, he accused the... Trump side of semi-fascism. You've also got this weaponization of the FBI. Now you've got this bizarre, dark speech. So it's quite dangerous because it, it, it alienates half the country in a quite dangerous way. Well, yeah, I mean, it's almost like that speech had been written by Hillary Clinton, who famously described Trump supporters as a basket of deplorables, Correct. which many people, Nick Dixon, think lost her the election. Yeah, it did, because you can't alienate the country like that. And can I just add one little extra fact? People talk about Trump... That about your first fact, by the way. Well, people talk about... <laughs> fake news with Dixon. He needs a fake map news. like Colombo. Just one more thing. Just one more thing. Last thing. Look, you're dropping a lot of truth bombs tonight. I'm dropping many truth what bombs. What do they put in your tea? People talk about... Are you on drugs? Are you, did they give you glue? It's that Diet so Coke. funny. People by the way, talk... I just want folks to know that he is... <laughs> Nick Dixon is glued to the desk. <laughs> He bought, he bought some Pritt stick from yeah, yeah. one guy at Extinction Rebellion called Swampy. Yeah, people are saying, how come you're on GB so much? I, I physically can't move. Um, give, me your, give, me, give me your final... Well, people point. say, look, Trump goes on about a stolen election. Karine uh, Jean-Pierre, currently the White House press secretary, there's tweets of her saying that it was Trump had a stolen election in 2016 and then another election, uh, a smaller election, she again said was stolen. So... I just want to point that out as well. Oh, the, Dem, the Dems were completely contested that result. Uh, double Absolutely. standards, who knew? Um, Diane, I'd like you to enjoy the right to reply here. <laughs> well, um, although um, I, I haven't seen the speech myself, but Lucky the way you. you well, the way that you describe it, I'm just gutted that he didn't end it with, and I'm Batman. <laughs> yeah. um, but... By the way, you've got a strong superhero theme tonight. Oh, thanks. Do you, do you only read comic book novels? <laughs> I have been listening to them on audiobooks for it about is, It is affecting your, uh, your <laughs> worldview, I've got to say. You see everything through the prism of Spider-Man. Uh, um, so, uh, but I, I have to agree that actually calling um, a group of people, like painting them in this very dramatic language is divisive. And I think he has made a mistake there. And the same way that um, Hillary Clinton, exactly the point you made, called them deplorables, that's not the way to bring people together. 
Well, it isn't. And uh, you just wonder what the strategy is. Uh, clearly, it's red meat for the base. But that's not how you win elections. It's I, I, there's something weird here. That it, it's it is very divisive. It is like he is trying to stoke up a problem, and yeah. I'm I'm not sure why he would do that. Well, yeah. I, I, look, I can't imagine you were the biggest fan of Donald Trump. Uh, no. But <laughs> many on on the left must be disappointed by Biden for essentially being as populist on the other side. I I. I think there's many reasons to be disappointed in Biden. Uh, like, a lot of his policies are failing. And then he just keeps making these horrendous statements and he's not bringing anything together. Well, the shocker for me, I don't want it to be a pylon, but he, he claimed that America wasn't in recession, <laughs> even though America experienced the metric of two quarters of negative growth, which has been the arbiter of, or the definition of a recession in Western economies for five decades. Was he looking out the right window? Like, mate, what was he looking at at the, the time? But it was a They sort changed of... <laughs> to a monthly definition, so it hadn't gone up that month. So they said, no, there's no recession, because instead of looking out on a year basis, they changed it to monthly. Well, that's Different it, window. but it's fake news, isn't it? Yeah. What about zero percent inflation? Yeah. Because it hadn't changed month on month, except that annually it's about 10%. Yeah. Who knew? Crazy. America deserves better. Tomorrow's Guardian with a story similar to an old soap plot being dredged up because the writers ran out of steam. Diane, tell us more. Yes. So, um, Jaroslaw Kaczynski, Kaczynski? Uh, I'm so sorry, I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Uh, the leader of Poland's ruling Conservative Law and Justice Party has presented a report suggesting that Poland um, should be paid... 1.3 trillion in war reparations by Germany. Uh, now, this is clearly not coming at any kind of right time. Like, you think, well, it's, it's, it's 83 years since uh, um, the anniversary of the invasion in 1939. And also, the German government have argued that Poland, first of all, waived its right to war reparations in 1953. And then again, any outstanding reparation issues were settled with the 2 plus 4 agreement between the US, UK, France and the Soviet Union that sealed reunification in 1990. And um, so why uh, this politician has decided to suddenly sort of put together this um, dossier and say, no, you owe us all these war reparations. I mean, it... it I think it's because he's trying to play to his crowd at home by stirring up sort of old, unnecessary divisions. And I think that at a time when, um, obviously, Russia is cutting off gas supplies and everybody is a little bit... Um, Europe itself is unstable. And, obviously, Germany is, is not doing great because they've, they are so reliant on Russia that they've been... They're, getting, they're very slowly getting their military aid to the Ukraine. We're like, really? I thought you guys were good yeah, at efficiency. That's it's... true. They sent a few helmets, didn't they? Did they, yeah. though? Did they arrive on time? And they sent time? Pritstick as well. Pritstick and helmets. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great. I'm sure that'll do masses of, of help. I mean, uh, yeah, so, so this, th that is the story. So, basically, this, mm. this politician in, in Poland is, I think, trying to just stir up old, divisive 
issues. Well, yeah, we've seen this reparations issue in relation to slavery. Nick, it's weaponized by populist leaders. Well, I was going to say, Diana says it's, you know, 83 years ago, but slavery was obviously much further in the past. But we do still hear about reparations. So it's nice as, as a change to hear about this one. I mean, why not? Poland seems to always get the brunt of fascism, communism, and they want some reparations. Maybe we can get some for all those bombs and stuff that were dropped. What do you think? It's not a bad shout. We could do with the money now, couldn't we? Uh, let's now move on to our next story. Uh, tomorrow's Guardian again, uh, and a suggestion that might not go down so well. I say let them be, Nick. <laughs> nice. What's yes. going on? Explain these puns. I will. Let them eat the bugs. Well, actually, that's technically not the headline, but it's very close to the meme. It's let them eat bugs. UK urges hunger-stricken African nations to farm insects. It's getting very, very close to a meme. You know, there's this idea online, of course, that the WEF, Klaus Schwab, wants us to all eat the bugs and be happy. So the guy has virtually gone with that as a headline. But notice, let them eat bugs is obviously an allusion to let them eat cake. So there's obviously a certain irony in the Guardian saying that they're actually having a go at it slightly, which is... Because when it's aimed at the West, we just say, yeah, you should eat the bugs. But it does become a bit tasteless when we're now saying African nations should eat them as well. So I was wondering when they were going to get onto this because they're desperate for us to eat insects. No one quite knows why, but they're obsessed with it. And now they're saying that the Democratic Republic of Congo and Zimbabwe should eat the bugs. And now it mentions that they're hunger-stricken. There is an argument. That's the only time there's, there's an argument for eating bugs when you have to out of hunger. But as it says here, taste and cultural resistance have proved to be stumbling blocks in extending the practice in many parts of the world. Yeah, people don't want to eat bugs. It says here, um, we're also actively encouraging people in the developed world to include insects in their diets. I know you are, but we don't want to. So basically, these are aid projects that are saying you should eat the bugs in Africa. So, yeah. Not great. Uh, McDonald's uh, muck spider sandwich coming to a restaurant near you. Tomorrow's Metro with an inclusive story about approval of swimming caps for Afro hairstyles. Diane, about time. Yeah, this is fantastic. Uh, so um, they've brought out a cap called the uh, Soul Cap and it was uh, initially um, barred um, it was denied by FINA, which is swimming's governing body, uh, from its approval to become a certified swimwear for competition swimming. But if anybody... Have you ever tried to put on an actual swimming cap? Yeah, I don't enjoy them. Oh, my God, they're horrendous. Like, you, you sort of... It's like trying to cram your head into... Uh, like a marigold glove. It's just awful. And they, they grip and they, they really pull on different places. And But the, the other option is to actually dip your head into the chlorine pool and then you sort of come out and everything just feels like straw. So it's, it's horrible. And a lot of competitive uh, swimmers um, or just swimmers in general who have Afro hair, obviously Afro hair is very different. It's got a very different volume, very different texture. And so to get a different swimming hat makes complete and utter sense. Absolutely. Because um, I had enough trouble shoving my hair into this sort of horrible rubber cap. Yeah. I can't imagine if my hair was like curly and bouncy. It would just be untamable. So this is wonderful. This yeah, is really I think great it's a great news. story. Uh, yeah. Nick Dixon, do you wear rubbers in the swimming pool? <laughs> I didn't know, I've, I've missed you on this show, Mark. I've missed uh, <laughs> questions like that. Um, I don't go swimming anymore, really. I, I couldn't. You can't, I can't see. And but then there's all the chlorine. So much. I know, don't but, you I, want but to I've like eaten a bit. Show everybody what deadlifting no. 160 kilograms. No, because I'm very strong, but I'm not quite as uh, slim as I might as I might be. 
And uh, plus, you can't see without your contacts. There's you chlorine. Oh, there's people. You're not wearing your specs or your contact lenses, so you yeah. don't know who's in front of you. Everything's a try. When you're an adult, Mark, yeah. everything's just hard and difficult. And swimming now would present a number of problems for me. I couldn't. I see. It. All right. Well, that's that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> the joy of floating. Good news, everyone. You're uh, you're safe difficult. to go to your local swimming pool. You don't have to uh, get encountered by Nick Dixon in a rubber cap. <laughs> I'm Mark Dolan. Welcome back to Headliners, your first look at tomorrow's papers. Tonight in the company of the dangerously talented comedians Diane Spencer and Nick Dixon. Let's have a look at this story in The Times. And it's all about how fantasy lovers can accept orcs, dragons and trolls, but not other groups. Yeah, rings of power. Purists accept elves but not black actors, says Lenny Henry. They have no trouble believing in a dragon, but they do have trouble believing that a black person could be a member of a court or a hobbit or elf. So it's a slightly disingenuous argument. It's a bit silly because it's a... Look, take, let's think about black, Pan, uh, black Panther. He's a fictitious character, right? But you wouldn't, change, you wouldn't change it to White Panther. So it doesn't really follow that just because something's fictitious, you shouldn't necessarily change the, the race. So... People, let's take it away from race for a second. People get very into these characters. We, we, Tolkien is a genius, you know, and we, all these worlds. But let's take another one. Let's take an infinitely lesser work like X-Men. People got annoyed when Rogue <laughs> was a teenager instead of an adult woman. So people don't like these changes. So if you are going to depart from the text and from the original vision, because Tolkien was very clear about his vision, uh, then... You've do, you're doing it for a reason. And then we, we go, well, what reason is that? And, of course, it's a political agenda. Now, whether you agree with that agenda or not, it bothers some people that you, you've made that change. And I do find it quite strange, because there are any number of stories you could tell. So why do we have to take these particularly unique stories and change them? I think that's what bothers people. It's not like, oh, we can't sleep because there's a, a black hobbit and we're all racist. It just, it just bothers some people to change it. And also, I might add that... What is the ideology behind changing it? Well, it's usually a woke ideology. It's usually critical race theory type thinking that kind of probably hates the West, probably hates Christianity, and Tolkien was a Christian. So there's that added thing of like, you're taking these stories, you take, they come from a certain tradition. Of course, they were, they were white people because Tolkien was an English person with a German name writing about Europe. Uh, you know, it wasn't about Europe. It was a fictitious world, but obviously his experience was England, the war. And so, of course, there are certain characters, but I... It's, and they've also made other changes that are, you know, less controversial, like Galadriel is now a kind of boss girl who fights rather than a kind of ethereal presence that she actually was. So people don't like these changes in general. So, you know, that, that's the issue. But, of course, you, every, every try and complain about it, you're going to be painted as an evil racist, who, you know, etc. Well, that's right. John Mortimer wrote, uh, created famously the Rumpole of the Bailey character, this wine-soaked barrister. Brilliant, brilliant books. And a new commitment has been made by his estate that the next books that come out, he's obviously no longer with us, and they've selected an author to write the next volumes, and Rumpole will be a woman. And it will be sort of the legal world through a female perspective. And I'm just thinking, well, why not just create a female lawyer and leave Rumpole alone? There you go. Exactly. Diane, what do you think about this? I think it's interesting that Sir Lenny Henry was cast... Uh, in the rings of power, and then he's complaining sort of about it. Does that make sense? Sort of, he's got the gig. Now he's saying, well, there's not enough of this happening. But I, I always think you get cast on your merit. I think you get cast on your gravitas, your persona, how you project yourself out. And I, I mean, 
I don't know enough about the Rings of Power or about Tolkien to sort of say, I, I, I've read one of the books, but it was really long and very dull. And at no point did they say what colour anybody was. So um, I don't see the problem in casting whoever fits the character's role, no matter what their skin colour is. Uh, obviously, Lenny Henry, a very prolific and talented man, uh, perhaps he's using his platform with a role in this show to sort of call out what he sees as rather prejudicial casting. I mean, I suppose maybe he is, but I, I just, I always find it a bit difficult when somebody who's got the gig hmm. then complains about the gig. It's like, yeah, but you, you did get the gig, love. Like, a lot of other people didn't get that gig. So, Including Nick Dixon, who I believe didn't even get a recall. I would be a great Hobbit as well. Yeah. I think Diana would be better as an And Nick, an, an Nick turned up. I was actually, I've seen a video of the audition and he said, look, I can ride a horse and I've got a clean driving licence. Hey, fun fact, I've actually ridden a horse that was in Lord of the Rings. You haven't? Yeah, it was massive and it was great. And, they, and the woman said, are you scared of horses? And I went, no. And she went, do you want the big one? And I went, yeah. And then I got on the big one and she said, this horse was Aragorn's horse in Lord of the Rings. And I drove that thing. Yeah. Crazy. It you, was... drove, you drove a horse. Ah, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a professional, Mark. <laughs> I'm not an expert. <laughs> I'm not sure anyone should be on a horse that thinks you can drive one of those things. <laughs> I mean, the gears were a bit sticky, but I was all right. Where's Ian? the cruise control on this thing? <laughs> um, were you being filmed on this horse, or was this recreational? Oh no, it's just for fun. All right. And what, what, why were you? Are you a horse rider? No, no, no. Driver, Mark. It was just. <laughs> No, it's just something that a bunch of us just we said, should we go horse riding? I mean, I lived. So in you New went to like a horse riding. Place. I lived in New Zealand at the time, and we just went just for fun because you know it's fun to go try things you've, you've never right. tried. And before. you rode a celebrity horse. Yeah, yeah, they do exist. And was the horse starry? Did you have to like? Did it make you wait? <laughs> oh the ride? yeah, I mean, I had to sit outside its trailer <laughs> when it came out. I clapped. Uh, gave it some flowers after we went for the ride. Yeah, it was. Who knew? Um, have you uh, have you ridden bareback on on any celebrities? <laughs> oh my god, Mark. Celebrity again, horses? I've I've missed your contributions. I um <laughs> I I've ridden a horse. I haven't driven have one. Have you been legs Has... akimbo on anything famous? <laughs> I'm not. Really, I don't think I can even answer that without my lawyer present. <laughs> wise, a wise solution. Um, tomorrow's mail now, and let's talk about accessibility for overweight people in theatres, Diane. Now, this I find very interesting. So, uh, theatres have begun advertising the width of their seats under, quote, fat accessibility, end quote, guidance for overweight audience members. Now, this is very uh, interesting to me because uh, I have just come back from the Edinburgh Fringe and I, uh, in some of the venues, you literally just have sort of separate seats laid out. So they're not like um, a purpose-built theatre, they're converted rooms. And I remember seeing uh, a woman climbing up the stairs and she was very, very big. In the fat acceptance community, she would possibly be labelled as infinifat. They have different levels of what fat is within the fat acceptance. And is infinity, community. is that like infinity fat, basically? Yes, yes. So you so, look at that person, you go, there's actually no number on that. Yes, you are infinity fat. And that is something that is created by the by the fat acceptance community. Right. So I'm using their language. And she sort of came up the stairs uh, and then she sort of looked at the seat that she had to sit on and she just sort of went... Ugh! And sort of, there was this... I mean, that moment. is a very Scottish response. 
I don't even think she was Scottish. Oh, really? No, no. I think you are casting nasturtias there. Give me there. I um, take it all back. So, but it was it was perfectly clear she was going to take up possibly two or even three seats. Now, this is being driven by um, the fat activist Sophie Hagen. Um, who we all know. Who we do all know. A very talented comedian. She's also a comedian. And I noticed that... Um, but you have to be careful what Sophie Hagen pushes forward. She got into trouble quite uh, a while ago because... Well, not trouble, but she... Um, attacked Cancer Research well, UK. Well, well, that's right. Get, tell us about that in a second. Here's the, here's the tweet. Mm. And she tweeted, and you can absolutely go away in terms of trying to excuse this. Society viewing fatness as a negative thing is a thing that kills more than the cancer you might get due to maybe something to do with you possibly weighing more than a certain weight, possibly, maybe. Yes, so that was that was. Um, oh, that was her forgive accusing me, the, forgive me. Uh, the cancer that, research. That was UK. the cancer. She she basically said cancer research were fat shaming people by having an ad campaign that said if you're obese or overweight, you're more likely to get cancer. Yes, yes. So forgive me, I butchered that, but I now I, I've, <laughs> I've arrived at the landing point. So she sort of um, threw her "Don't you dare fat shame me" into the face of science and research done by Cancer Research UK. Um, and the interesting thing here is that she has said that she has been left in excruciating pain, which I would not wish upon anyone, no. um, from sitting in a theatre seat that's too small. So she wants all theatres to tell people how wide their seats are. Now, here comes clearly an issue because theatres have to make money, otherwise they're not sustainable. And if you're st slowly making your seats wider, you can only fit so many seats in. So are they going to be charging more for those seats? Because if, if a person takes up the space where two people would buy a ticket, then are you charging that person? Again, it comes down to the plane ticket argument. If you take up two seats, do you have to buy two seats? Well, that's exactly right. Nick, this is a complex story, isn't it? Yeah, I'm almost forgot to talk about it because I know Sophie. I, she's blocked me now, of course. But many years ago, she used to do um, she used to do normal comedy. She actually was quite mocking of being overweight in a self-deprecating way, and then she became woke and everything changed. And now she's become uh, non-binary, I believe. So it, it's um, which, which I, I totally think is authentic. But um, yeah, it's it's a uh, it, it, she's gone too far, obviously, with the cancer tweet where she had a go at a cancer charity. That's when you've jumped the shark, obviously, and. You, the, the problem is with all this stuff, you don't want to be mean about anyone, but it's, it's, society is a rough compromise, isn't it? It's difficult to accommodate everyone's needs in, in a society. I suppose that's what this story is, is about, essentially. But I don't know. I, I, I don't want to comment, because Sophie's all right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just think, Nick, it's just this issue of, you know, we, we, we love everyone, uh, you're tolerant of, of all people, we all come in different shapes and sizes, but do you want a society that in a kind of very strategic way, accommodates obesity, it, you know? It, well, it's not only that, it's, it's, it. it's accommodating an unhealthy, and I'm sorry, but the health at every size is not a, it's not a thing that I personally think no, is that's, real. Right. No, that's, okay. I was just talking about the seating issue. Yeah, but the seating issue, let's also remember that Sophie Hagen has just done a run at the Edinburgh Fringe, and noticeably she kicks off whenever she wants to sell something, and she's about to go on tour, so I have a funny feeling that her sort of bringing this to light, because she's about to go on tour, is happening at this particular moment. We're all talking about there it. There you go. Well, Maybe that's there you it. Go. We've, uh, we've, uh, we've played into her trap. Um, let's <laughs> power through a few more, uh, if we can, before we go. Tomorrow's Mail explaining why some young people don't want kids. Who'd have thought it, Nick? 
Yeah, it's quite a sad story. Over the past few years, the number of Gen Z and millennial women openly sharing their sterilization journeys, the male bizarrely using that term, on social media has skyrocketed. So this is about uh, women, young women who've decided they definitely don't want to have kids. And it's, I'm worried because I th they may be influenced by the sort of anti-abortion rhetoric of the culture, perhaps some of them even by the climate rhetoric where we say, oh, we're, we're, there's too many of us. In reality, we need to get our birth rates up in the West, but there you go. And it, it, it's a sort of self-hating thing that, in the culture. But in this case, it might not be that. It may just be individual choice. But my problem is the same problem the doctors have. They're too young to make the decision. Someone called Olivia Downs, 22 years old, and she says, Call me selfish, and many people have, but I just don't want to put my body through that for something that I'm really not even sure that I want in the first place. So you're not even... Does she sound really sure either way? She's not sure she wants kids. Yeah, but you're, you want to make it so that you definitely can't at 22? Let's remember, you don't, current science suggests you don't develop the capacity for rational thought until 25, and some never do. Yeah. And that's when the prefrontal cortex develops. Can you really, at this age, make this decision? Because many people regret it, many women, in later life if they don't. Uh yeah. I do find this slightly worrying because also um, sort of the hashtag vasectomy was apparently trending on TikTok. And there are so many brilliant methods of contraception out there, so many brilliant methods uh, that you can choose from. You could try and find something that's right for you. Um, Condom, so pill, coil, bad breath, body odour, supporting arsenal. Talking, uh, all sorts of ways you could put people off, yeah. So maybe go with one of those. OK, well, uh, I think that's a very good <laughs> shout. Uh, let's have a look at our next story from the mail, which might have some women fuming, Diane. Oh, my gosh, where am I going? OK, car so fumes. car fumes. Oh, my word. So this is interesting. So car fumes could pose a higher risk to women as they cause increased levels of proteins linked to hardened arteries. Now, before we get into this, we must underline the fact that only 10 people took part in this study. So it's not exactly... Um, a scientific study that we need to adhere to straight away because there's so many different influences here. However, um, this is key for women who might work at racetracks or perhaps you work in a garage because this could later on be developed into an occupational risk. Yeah. Apparently, this study sounds disgustingly horrible. People were allowed to breathe wonderful clean air for four hours and then they were breathing in fumes for four hours. I mean... Not great. Oh, that is repulsive. You'd have to pay me at least 50 quid a day to do that. I, just 50 quid? No. Yeah, it, it, the only thing I wonder, Diane, is that this is not smack of this sort of divisive culture that we've now got, where we split people into different groups. But this we, is you know... important. Yeah, but this is to do with biology. <laughs> mm. So why are women getting the proteins that harden your arteries, mm. but men aren't? So that is a very important biological difference mm. if this research is taken on. Yeah. So what, well, how do you think it's divisive, though? Well, I just wonder whether focusing on gender, the bottom line is that polluted air is bad for everyone, isn't it? Do oh. we need this research? I mean, polluted air is bad for everyone, but surely um, if you know that it really can detrimentally impact a specific gender... Mm. For example, you yeah. think about... Um, uh, maybe, maybe it could have a a knock-on effect to, for example, women who work in car garages, right? So uh, people who do bodywork or, or just mechanics, it could actually lead to something being an occupational risk 
and therefore it could lead to something in the future where we can provide them with assistance for it because we know it's going to happen for them. Yeah, I think, I think, you're, I think you raise a fair point. It's a kind of health and safety issue. Yeah, definitely. And if it affects a group in the workforce that, that is very, very noticeable and identifiable, then you accommodate that. And if it's women, then you, you do something about it. Like, I don't think that blind people should work with bandsaws. Well, I find them very good, I'll be honest with you. They're very instinctive. Feel the force, Luke. <laughs> Nick? Well, You're a fan if, of car fumes? If, if car fumes are, are bad for women, maybe they shouldn't drive. That's... Well, what did I say about the talking? Said, <laughs> what did I say? Before. Just an idea. I care about women. Some of the chicks love that banter, let me tell you. Ugh. Tomorrow's Telegraph <laughs> detailing the potential ending of a true British rite of passage, the school trip. Nick, surely not. Yeah, death of the school trip, question mark. Energy crisis threatens rites of passage for pupils. So, yeah, it's basically saying schools haven't got enough money to do it. I mean... I remember school trips, you know, they're sort of awful, but then again, perhaps they are an important thing. I don't want to get rid of them. But, you know, the schools are in such crisis. I heard a story the other day about they might only open three to four days anyway, so there probably won't be time for trips because they'll all be shut. I just remember losing my 10p for postcards. Oh, nuts. Yeah, and also a bottle of room-temperature lemonade going around the bus at the end of the day. How old are you, Mike? This sounds like an Enid Blyton <laughs> novel. not great. <laughs> There'd be a last <laughs> drop of lemonade at the bottom of the bottle. You drink it and you go, that's not lemonade. Um, wow. OK, how about this uh, sleep and health? So, Independent, Diane. I, sorry. So, yes, sleep could be the strongest predictor of when you will die. For example, if you fall asleep at the wheel of a car, you're probably going to die. Oh. Um, no, there's something called... Um, Especially if you're a woman and the exhaust pipe is... No, OK. Yeah, and you fall asleep because Nick wouldn't stop talking about... Trump. Trump, Trump yeah. <laughs> So, um, yes, this you got, is... You've been very harsh to Nick tonight. I think, I think the Edinburgh Festival's made you very I, yeah, robust. I thought my job was talking about the news, but I've been chastised. I think men, men should be silent. I think, I think what we've seen <laughs> here is low-level bullying in the workplace. And let me be honest, I'll be, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Um, so, so, yeah, but so what, what is the key, what is the key uh, theme of this? Essentially, they're saying that sleep fragmentation, which is where you wake up repeatedly during the night, mm. but you're not aware of it, could indicate uh, that you're going to develop later disorders in life. Now, the issue is you're not aware that you're waking up. So if you're sleeping with somebody else, maybe that's useful. They can kind yes. of go, you know, you keep waking up, but you don't know. But if you sleep by yourself, how do you know? I mean, uh, my mum's got uh, a Fitbit now, so she loves reading about all her sleep. So if you've got one of those sleep trackers, maybe invest in it. And you, if you find you keep waking up in the middle of the night, but you don't know sure. you are. Uh, yeah, I mean, do you, do you toss in bed, Nick? I mean, sort of toss and turn? Ah, wonder what you meant. Yeah, well, I am worried about this, Mark. Maybe I, maybe I do. I mean, apparently they're saying that scientists cited that with Parkinson's disease, you violently act out your dreams five or ten years before other ten symptoms years. show. My goodness. Sorry to end on something so dark. On that bombshell. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. We're back tomorrow at 11. And join me at 9 for Mark Dolan tonight. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.